Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. 92% of households that start the year with Peloton are still active a year later. 92% because of a bike? Not just bikes. We also make treadmills and rowers. Oh, let me guess, for elite athletes only, right? Nope. It doesn't matter if you're an avid exerciser or new to working out. Peloton can help you achieve your fitness goals. 92% stick with it. So can you. Try Peloton bikes, tread or row, risk-free with a 30-day home trial. New members only. Not available in remote locations. See additional terms at onepeloton.com slash home dash trial. everybody thank you for tuning in to performance anxiety the podcast that gets you behind the scenes stories from your favorite creatives i am your host mark and guitarist will johns is the guest of honor this episode i've had a lot of guests who have music in their dna they really had no choice but to be musicians but never has it been more true than with will will's parents were actress paula boyd and world-renowned producer and engineer andy johns his aunt, Patty Boyd, inspired some of the most beloved songs in rock and married George Harrison and Eric Clapton, making them Will's uncles. And we can't forget his aunt Jenny and her husband, Mick Fleetwood. That in and of itself could warrant a great conversation. But Will has so much more to discuss. He was in a number of bands in the 90s and 2000s, like Glida with Jesse Woods and Tramper Price. They recorded demos at Jesse's dad's place. Did I forget to mention that Jesse's dad is Ronnie Wood? But at one point, he put all of this behind him and took work in an aquarium, staging art galleries between exhibits, and as a fisherman. Now, a random interview request from a blues magazine reignited his musical flame, and he's been going strong ever since. Now he's just fishing for fun, but that doesn't even cover a fraction of his stories. Currently, he's touring with Kofi Baker as part of the music of Cream. It's more than a tribute band. It's relatives of the supergroup playing the music, jamming, and telling stories in a multimedia experience. So follow the band at Music of Cream. Follow Will to hear some great blues at Will John's Music or check out willjohns.com for more links. Follow us at Performance ANX. Rate and review the podcast. And you can show support through ko-fi.com slash performanceanxiety or performanceanx.threadless.com. So grab a beer, a plate of sushi, getting ready for some wild stories with Will Johns on Performance Anxiety, part of the Pantheon Podcast Network. All right. Hi, my name's Will Johns, and you are watching the Performance Anxiety Podcast. Check us out in the musicofcream.com. 
and we'll be at a theater near you real soon. Happy New Year. No, that's good. Yeah, okay. Except for I, I busted my finger this morning. I saw, I just I was going to ask, what happened? Oh, you know what? I used to have a really cool multi-tool that was a Gerber. And when you took the blades out, they locked. All right. And then I lost it. So I bought a, you know, a crappy one oh. from the, from our UK equivalent of a Walmart, which is a Asda. Okay. So then I'm trying to make a little pilot hole to hang a picture. And as I put some, some weight on the thing, it closed on my finger. Oh. And basically nearly took the top of it off. So. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Oh, so that's that was terrible. My, that was Sunday morning, wasn't it, Minnow? Oh, my, my gosh. That's an adorable dog. <laughs> <laughs> you still okay to, to do this if we need to reschedule or anything? That's, you know, yeah, I don't think you have to use no, your finger too much during this. No one, you don't want me to play guitar, do you? <laughs> no, no. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, if you wanted to, it would have been great, but, you know, that's not a requirement no, uh, for being on the show. We can probably do something. I don't know. I got some other fingers here. <laughs> That's why God gave you five on each hand, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh well, I'm I'm happy to see the company here. I had to put my dog in a uh, in, in a room because anybody walks past the house here, and uh, people will tend to do that. He'll go crazy, and I'll have to edit out so much barking and. Okay, Minnie, no barking. Okay, no barking. <laughs> Minnie's a guest. That's fine. It's my dog. The host dog that can't bark <laughs> you'll have to excuse me if i ask you a few questions that you've been asked about a hundred thousand times you got to try to set the stage a little bit before uh hopefully i'll ask you some things that maybe aren't common but we'll see <laughs> i'm sure you're used well, to it go for it and um, you know if i've been asked them a hundred thousand times then a hundred thousand and one's probably not gonna hurt too much <laughs> <laughs> it'll hurt less than your finger that's for sure <laughs> <laughs> how's the weather over there I went, we are getting ready for a huge snowstorm coming up it's like i don't know it's b way below freezing here okay well it's you know it's um it's actually today is pretty nice um the last few days have been pretty nice i was i was able to go out on my boat which is um oh, nice fairly unusual at this time of year but the sea was flat and the sun has been shining. Oh, good. And um, we haven't had any of those airplanes that, you know, leave the persistent contrails, uh. which all join up and then tend to blot out the sun. Yeah. There's just been one or two jet aircraft and their little contrails disappeared right after them just as soon as they had laid them so oh so that's been pretty cool we get to enjoy a blue sky good and um, yeah like, and, it's, and, and it was like a spring day out on the sea oh, wow. um but i think um it's um yeah generally it's pretty cold at the moment did you do um, any fishing and it looks like you're, yeah. you're a pretty avid fisherman there yeah yeah, we were we were doing some fishing and we caught some place, which is I guess closest thing you'd have would be a flounder. Oh, oh, I love flounder. Yeah, so it's like a flounder but with with red spots. And oh wow! They taste good. Yeah, I've got so many questions about your life because it's so 
unusual. Your childhood must have been just, you know, it's your childhood. You can't really compare it to anything else, obviously. But in, in looking at it from my perspective, it's just one of the most unique childhoods ever. I mean, your mom was an actress and a model, sister to one of the most storied women in rock and roll. Your dad is an icon in production and engineering. So uh, your mom was Paula Boyd, sister of Patty Boyd, who, you know, famously was married to both George Harrison and Eric Clapton. Also, your Aunt Jenny Boyd was married to Mick Fleetwood. Your dad is Andy Johns, produced Led Zeppelin, Stones, obviously Eric Clapton, uh, your other uncle Glenn Johns, same realm. It seems to me like music was, and I hate to say in your blood, but almost maybe a foregone conclusion. Was there ever a time where music wasn't something that you figured you would do as a career? Well, it wasn't so long ago where um, I wasn't really doing a lot of music and it all seemed like it was in my past. Oh, really? Yeah. So I was out at sea working in the charter, charter fishing industry in the English Channel. Oh, wow. And think and, and wondering how and how in the hell I ended up just out there and what kind of prospects did I have for the rest of my life? You know, getting up at, at stupid o'clock yeah. and, and and for not very much money and, and with fillet knives and, and fish hooks in my fingers and stuff like that and and it all seemed like you know like it was in my past. Oh man! Um, until about 2012, and then I got a, a random phone call out of the blue to do an interview oh, in wow. a blues magazine called Blues Matters. And literally from that point, all of a sudden, I was sort of sucked sucked back into the to uh, first of all, sort of the British blues scene. Who was celebrating, you know, a couple of songs that were on my 2012 album Count on Me. <laughs> sort of inspired me to sort of, you know, to give it, you know, to put more weight in, into that and, and just things sort of naturally escalated until pretty soon I didn't have to go back out to sea, you That's know, to, to try and earn a living catching fish. This episode is sponsored by BetterHelp. Without a healthy mind, being truly happy and at peace is hard. The good news is therapy works. But what is therapy exactly? It's whatever you want it to be. Maybe you're not feeling motivated right now and would like some tools to help. Or maybe you're feeling insecure in relationships or at work, not dealing well with stress. Whatever you need, it's time to stop being ashamed of normal human struggles and start feeling better because you deserve to be happy. And now you don't have to worry about finding an in-person therapist near you to help. BetterHelp is customized online therapy that offers video, phone, and even live chat sessions with your therapist so you don't have to see anyone on camera if you don't want to. It's much more affordable than in-person therapy, 
and you can start communicating with your therapist in under 48 hours. Try that in person. Join the millions of people who are seeing what online therapy is really about. It's always a good time to invest in yourself because you are your greatest asset. And special offer to Performance Anxiety listeners, you can get 10% off your first month of professional therapy at betterhelp.com slash performanceanxiety. That's betterhelp.com slash performanceanxiety. Thanks again to BetterHelp for sponsoring this episode. As a kid, was music something that you wanted to do as a yeah, career? Definitely. I think, you know, I always I always sang and then I started to teach myself guitar when I was about 15. Oh, wow. And um, I guess I always wanted to be a performer. I was always a, a, a bit of a show off. And <laughs> <laughs> I was always in the school play and and this and that and the other and so yeah and then I you know I went to when I went to college I did performing arts and that was kind of quite all all encompassing as far as it was acting techniques and stagecraft and 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 contemporary dance and ballet and after the first year you sort of I guess you'd say majored in 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 less in, in a few of those subjects. Okay, more know. concentrating on something. Exactly. Yeah. And, um, but by that time, you know, my band, my first band, Cloud Nine, you know, that had started to gain a little bit of momentum. And, um, you know, hanging out with the guys from the band was a lot cooler than, you know, going in there and, <laughs> and trying to do some ballet dancing <laughs> and some, pirouettes with the with the rest of those guys so that kind of took over but i i did i think i did finish the course and you know what the funny thing was was that mute there wasn't a music module of that college course hmm. and they had all of this great equipment at the at the college but it was all sort of locked up in this room we didn't really get the opportunity to to use it oh wow so yeah that's so um so you're saying you picked up guitar kind of at at 15. Your uncle's Eric Clapton. You you were teaching yourself. Did you did he give you any pointers? And I know that uh, at one point you did give him a bit of a suggestion about writing a song about milk. How did you hear that? <laughs> <laughs> that's that's um, that's pretty funny. Yeah, I remember that actually. That was. Um, it was to do with, uh, I think he had an ulcer at the time, <laughs> something like that. Yeah. And uh, I was pretty young. I don't know where I got that idea from, but uh, yeah, that, that was idea. my suggestion was, was that, you know, you should write a song about milk. milk. <laughs> that would be a, milk by osmosis. That maybe that would help his ulcer. I've got no idea. <laughs> <laughs> at what point did, Eric, go from Uncle Eric to realizing it was Eric Clapton, you know, guitar hero. I don't really know. That's a good question as well. Um, I don't know. I guess I guess I always knew he was kind of special because um, it was definitely impressive when 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 Eric would come pick me up from school in his Ferrari, and <laughs> all the kids would just kind of look and be sort of. 
wide-eyed with their with their mouths open as we <laughs> roared off with the top down in the you know bright red Testarossa. Oh, I, I think I think I probably knew something was up round about then. <laughs> it's like it's a good good clue. Something's going on. My uncle just showed up in the Miami Vice car. He must be doing something awesome or really illegal. Yeah, I think it sort of uh, inspired that. Uh, yeah, I think I need to. I, I don't want to do some. I want to do that. Yeah, you know, <laughs> whatever that is, that's it. Yeah. You know? <laughs> <laughs> so when you started playing, I mean, you and I are the same age. We we're just a few months apart in, in birthdays. Well, growing up, we had some incredible bands to listen to. I mean. You had now you had some family who were amazing, but at the same time, you know, it the music of the the 90s, our you know, late teens, early 20s was incredible. Soundgarden, Smashing Pumpkins, Pearl Jam, Steve Vai, Dave Hole, John Campbell. What was influencing your musical tastes at that point besides your family? Uh, to be honest, what did I listen to then? I listened to I listened to Arrested Development and Wow. Diggable planets. Okay. So I was into. I don't know. I don't know if I've got the right end of the stick here, but what I would call <laughs> intelligent rap, hip hop. I used to be really into dancing. You know, there was the whole sort of rave scene. Yeah. At that time, late nineties, early noughties, and so we used to go dancing. You know, we'd get the call. Sometimes you'd even have gone to bed, and then you'd get the call on the house phone. <laughs> this was, would have been, you know, we didn't have mobile phones. So right. You'd get the call, hey, guys, right, the meeting point is the, the gas station outside Whitney. And so whoever had the car, we'd all pile into the car and, you know, drive out to some random remote gas station in a, outside a village. And there would be the convoy of other ravers yeah. <laughs> and, uh, and off we'd go to some random farmer's field in the middle of nowhere where you'd come over the hill and there would be the lights and, and we would party <laughs> till, till <laughs> dawn or sometimes dawn three days later. Yeah. You know? <laughs> um, I can remember, you know, walking through the fields, looking at the grass on the ground that was growing and it would be multicolored, <laughs> kind of like my boxy. <laughs> you know, purple, green, phosphorescence, just luminescence. And, yeah. So we liked to dance. That was, you know, and so, okay. and, and, and back, we used to have this great flat called, called Cloud Nine because it was number nine Bista Road in Kidlington. And it was a big flat because it was above a pizza place, a pizza place, a curry place. So it wasn't a normal residential building. It was, it was a, I guess, uh, kind of weirdly purpose-built industrial sort of sized place because okay. they used to make the pizzas and make the curries and stuff. So the living room was just ridiculously huge. So we were able to have, you know, the band set up in one corner of the living room, a TV sort of lounge area in another corner, a nice. dining area. You know, it was just huge. And so we used to have these mental parties there at cloud nine and there was a very particular group of girls as well some of them were all dancers as well and okay. went on to be quite serious contemporary dancers yeah so that was that was why they, you know we used to we used to listen to a lot of sort of dance music not just um, arrested development and diggable planets there was also 
an acid jazz movement, oh, which cool. spawned bands in the UK like Galliano and Jamiroquai yeah. and, and this kind of thing. And at that time as well, it was kind of like the guitar for a while was very, the guitar was dead. Yeah, I remember. Even though that there was a little bit of guitar in, you know, in these acid jazz bands, mostly guitar wasn't, wasn't cool. Guitar wasn't yeah. a thing. But we still soldiered on and, and did our thing. Cloud Nine was a sort of, I mean, it wasn't very, uh, it wasn't directly inspired by any of the bands that I just mentioned. We were doing our own kind of, what did we call it? Um, it was kind of space space funk i think we called it oh cool like that. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds awesome yeah, yeah that's uh, that's kind of what we did and it was kind of psychedelic and it was we had kind of uh, two guitarists in the band dave motion and myself um bass and drums and okay. um quite a lot of effects going on guitar pedals and stuff but um the bands the bands that i listened to at that time were, were, were more kind of dancey, that kind of thing. But all, always, all, all throughout that time, I still would have been listening to, you know, Bob Marley and um, John Martin. Oh. John Martin was heavily on, on rotation. Oh, I love John And Martin. then there were some, some other sort of more experimental bands. There was a band called Outback. I think they were just a duo, really, with acoustic guitar and uh, didgeridoo. Oh, wow. Yeah, two Australian cats who'd found their way over to the UK and were doing some, some pretty crazy stuff. Oh, um, that sounds awesome. I like Living Color as well back then. Oh, I love um, Living Color. Still. They're still yeah. putting out great music. Yeah. And that's all I can really remember. <laughs> <laughs> At that time, I mean, did you have any interest in what your dad, Andy, was doing in, in engineering and production? Was that was there ever any draw to that side of the music business? No, oh, okay. no, not not really. His music, you know, to me, really was kind of hair band. Yeah, you know. But at that time. Um, he was working with Van Halen and uh, the For Unlawful Carnal Knowledge album. Yeah, yeah. And um, and that's when uh, he gave me my my favorite guitar, which is uh, which is a uh, Eddie Van Halen, a Music Man, Eddie Van Halen. And that one was actually it was one of Eddie's, but not one of his favorite five. And so the guitar tech, the story goes, the guitar tech saw this one and knew that it was it was particularly well made okay it came out really good and it had a really beautiful neck and so the guitar tech who i forget his name now um he called up my dad and said look i've got this guitar here maybe maybe will would like it because if, if we leave it here eddie's only going to trash it oh because it's not one of his you know one of his tops not one of his favorite. Yeah, yeah exactly so my dad got that for me, and um, and I'll never forget. Actually, when I when I unwrapped it and pulled it out of the box, I went and, and turned on MTV because I taught myself how to play by by listening to music and and picking out the right notes. Oh, okay, and sometimes the wrong notes. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> 
So I put on MTV to have a play along to whatever came on, and it was Whitney Houston, I Will Always Love You. <laughs> and so that's how I bonded with my, uh, with oh. my music man, Eddie Van Halen. Oh, oh my gosh. <laughs> that is amazing. I think that's the first time I've heard anything like that. <laughs> what do you do? <laughs> oh, we got another visitor. Get in the show. Yeah. <laughs> it's Puppy Central. Yeah. <laughs> That's totally fine. I wish I, I wish I could trust mine to come out here and not go ape shit. But I can't. <laughs> He's like an, a 90-pound doofus. So at what point did you start gigging and and taking guitar more seriously? Well, that would have been... Back then in, in um, I guess that was the early 90s, 93, something like that. Okay. And um, used to play around Oxford. Now, the contemporary bands, the, the, the guys who were in Oxford as well at that time, gigging around in the same venues would have been Radiohead. Oh, wow. And Supergrass. Oh, I love Supergrass. Yeah. Oh, Those guys. Man. I think I like Supergrass Those more guys. than Radiohead. I may have to yeah. edit that part oh. out. <laughs> I don't want to get any. Oh, yeah, well, let me. Let, I agree with you completely. I'm, I'm, you know, I'm not going to say who I haven't been a fan of, but yeah, I would right. have. Uh, I would have leaned lent towards Supergrass definitely. Oh yeah, especially as as they went on, because Radiohead lost me around Kid A and Amnesiac. That's... Oh, they never had me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. You mentioned earlier that you went, you got into the fishing industry. What was going on before that? Were you act, were you trying to break into music and, and do the whole well, record a, deal? I had a band with um, with uh, Jesse Wood and, and my buddy Tramper um, called Glider, and that was in the late nineties. Okay. Um, so after um, after Cloud Nine and stuff. Um, then I went out to the States to go to go and live with Andy in Hollywood for a while. And um, things didn't actually work out so well out there. And then I got a call from my friend who was driving the trucks for Jamiroquai. And, and he said, oh, you know, do you want to come out and um, take a ride in the truck with me? Up, We're going up to Vegas because Jamiroquai is a boy in the Stones. Wow. And... Um, and that's where I bumped into Jesse, who is my old buddy from growing up around Richmond in England. Um, Jesse's Ronnie's son, of course. Right, right. And um, so I I actually had this great big purple hat, kind of like a Jamiroquai hat, but even bigger. <laughs> oh, no. And so I got to this casino where I knew it was MGM Grand, actually. Okay. And... Um, my friend had gone to go and park his truck, which had all the gear for the Jamiroquai concert. And I was on the, on the casino level, which I guess was the, 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 the bottom floor or whatever, mm -hmm. whatever you call it. And I could see Ronnie and, um, and Jesse and the entourage, some heavy minders, bouncers, yeah. with, you know, and they're all walking along. So I, so I hid behind a, a slot machine. Uh -oh. 
And uh, as they came past, I jumped up like, ha <laughs> And these two great big bouncer guys, you know, went either side of me and about to pick me up and like <laughs> take me away. <laughs> and, uh, and Ronnie was like, oh, no, no, it's Willie. It's okay. You know. And, and, oh, my and God. Within, um, <laughs> within minutes, I found myself on the top floor of the MGM Grand oh in, in Ronnie's apartment where there was Slash, JK from Jamiroquai, mm-hmm. um, a, a multitude of other A-list rockers and celebrities. Oh, my gosh. And, um, and, uh, and Jesse, of course. And we were, we were jamming out songs and taking the mick out of Siegfried and Roy. <laughs> um, we were making up songs about Siegfried and Roy and their, you know, their Tiger Show. Right. <laughs> oh my god! That yeah, that was the birth of Glider, and uh, so then I ended up coming back to the UK and um, doing Glider with Jesse, and then we got Tramper Price. Uh, he flew over from Nashville, and Tramper's dad, Jim Price pretty famous trumpet and horn player uh, is on a lot of uh, Rolling Stones records. Oh, okay. And also he was on uh, George Harrison's All Things Must Pass. So we had a pretty, um, pretty cool band called Glider playing around London and Dublin and, and, and stuff. Oh, man. In fact, we used to go and record um, in Kildare at Ronnie's place. Oh, nice. Ronnie has or had a, a stud farm out in County Kildare uh, where he used to grow racehorses. Okay. Um, wow. But also a lovely recording studio there as well. Oh, my gosh. And uh, we, used to, we used to get to cut our demos over in his recording studio. Jeez. In between pints of Guinness in oh. his own private little bar. <laughs> oh my so god. So you can imagine it was terrible, awful, awful conditions to try and uh, <laughs> you know be creative really hard. Man, I've heard about bands roughing it, but man, that's that's a different level oh, of roughing terrible, it. Terrible, terrible. And Jesse, of course, you know, he was dating supermodels like Kate Moss and Kate Hudson. In fact, most of his girlfriends were called Kate. <laughs> <laughs> Whether they were actually that was her name or not, they, they're just yeah, it made it easier that way. I had a girlfriend called Kate as well, Kate Rutherford. Oh my gosh! So Kate, if you're watching the high Kate, <laughs> just, it makes it easier if they're all named Kate. It does. It really does. It saves you on Valentine's cards it, because you can just recycle them. <laughs> well, we have a connection then because, and um, thank God my wife doesn't listen to this podcast because my girlfriend right before my wife was named Kate. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Were you making inroads with Glider or I want to know a little bit more about how you went from recording in Ronnie Wood's barn slash studio, drinking Guinness from his personal bar to working on a fishing boat. We'll be right back after a word from our sponsors. Mm, Well, that's an interesting story too. So somehow in the mix of supermodels and um, everything that was going on, I I started dating uh, uh, JK's milliner 
JK's hat makers. Okay. So of course, Jay had all these great hats and yeah. somebody had to make them. And right. that, was, that was Cosmo and stuff. Somehow, in amongst all of that, there may have been a few extra beers, mm-hmm. um, a few extra, I don't even know what. And the whole thing exploded into a shower of champagne and cocaine and whatever. And <laughs> yeah, who um, knows? And I was kind of... Um, the band didn't really end, but it did, but it didn't. And this person said they wanted to leave. And at the same time, there was a, a record deal from Sony on the table and this and that wow. and the other. But it didn't want to happen somehow. And I was kind of left kind of at Ronnie's house with babes to the left, lines to the right, lumps of hash upside down, <laughs> da, 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 and God knows what. Right. But None of it was mine, and I kind of was a little bit like, okay, I kind of need to, um, I need to put one foot in front of the other and start creating something that belongs to me now. And that was a difficult thing to do, of course. Yeah. When you're a beggar on a beach of gold, <laughs> or a bird in a golden cage. Yeah. So I, yeah put one foot in front of the other and went and got a job washing dishes. Wow. Um, I kind of knew that I wouldn't be washing dishes for very long, but I needed to do that first to, to, to establish myself with myself. Okay. <laughs> and, um, and that's what I did. And then, uh, and then I ended up moving to Brighton where I am right now and Started working at the the aquarium there, which is with Sea Life Center, doing talks on fish. Oh, cool! Uh, and stuff like that, and um, got a flat. And for the longest time, from about the, the year two thousand and two, two thousand and one, two thousand and two until two thousand and twelve, the most important thing to me was having a roof over my head and and eating well. Okay. Um, Doing music maybe came third, fourth, or even fifth. wasn't so as important as as you know making sure that the bills were paid and mm-hmm. I was taking care of myself and being a responsible human being yeah. <laughs> yeah. in my own world. Doing some you adulting. Know, and everything that I had, I worked for because up until that point, I don't know if I really had any true sense of. I don't know, self-worth or self, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I can understand that. You grew up in such rarefied air that it's it's hard. I can, I I don't know that, but I can understand it. Yeah, whatever it was, it was always equated to somebody else or some other rock star or a this or that or or a supermodel or a, um, and so I needed to just start really small from the beginning, which, you know, was quite late in life. You know, by then yeah. I was probably 30 years old. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but, um, but I, it was something that I had to do. So at what point did the blues come calling and, and get you back into uh, playing guitar? Uh, I know you'd mentioned the, the interview, but that was for an album that you had put out. What got you back yeah. into the studio and, and recording blues and not, you know, the, the hip hop that you, that you grew up loving. Well, I guess 
after um, after about a year or two of not playing very much guitar at all, started to play a little bit, and then I wanted to play with some other people, and I put a little advert out the local paper. Anybody want to play some psychedelic blues? And and a guy phoned up, um, Ben, and uh, coincidentally, he happened to live like five doors down. <laughs> so it was wow. mental. So within the you know within five minutes of the phone call, it was knock at the door, and he'd come round, and we started jamming. And then after probably a couple of weeks, he was like, "Well, I know somebody who plays a bit of drums," and he came over and set up a drum kit in the flat and um, so and then for a good few months it was just about having a good time and playing some music for the fun of it okay and then of course you know the inevitable happened is like, sure should we, should we do a gig <laughs> <laughs> get a gig and you know and that was it gateway that became the gateway drive into <laughs> Oh, they want us to do a festival. Okay, we'll do a festival. Wow. And then all of a sudden there's a little collection of songs and, and stuff. And, and the next logical step was to um, start making an album. And it was around about that time that I met my now ex-wife. Okay. And it seemed it seemed like the, the logical thing to do to, to make an album, um, which I did with my buddy Tramper, Tramper Price who I've mentioned before, mm-hmm. and that was the start of Count On Me. Did you guys have a preferred style of blues? I mean, I, I've always loved the blues. I know there's got Delta, there's the Chicago, Texas, Jump. Is there any style in particular that you guys were gravitating to, or did you just tr- want to take it all in? Well, I think that first album wasn't particularly focused on blues. There was just a couple of tracks, and I guess my kind of blues is is British blues. Okay. You know, inspired by bands like Cream. Yeah. You know, and um, I guess Led, Led Zeppelin, although that, if I was to be really honest, you know, once again, that's, that's leaning a little bit towards my dad's music. Yeah. <laughs> he produced that. So, you know, I was, I was kind of a little bit more into maybe early Fleetwood Mac. Oh, yeah. But not really conscious of it. Oh, really? Um, okay. And and like I said, there was only a couple of tracks on that album that were really bluesy, but it was one of those tracks on my back that got picked up by the British blues scene and got nominated for, for a blues award. And it was kind of because they picked up on that. Somebody had shown that much interest in what I was doing that kind of genreized me. And it was like, oh, they like that that I'm doing. Okay, I'll do more of that then. Okay. Interesting. Yeah. How often are you guys playing out? I mean, you still have a full-time job at this point, right? Um, or did you just switch it off? I'm like, no, this is it. We're, now I'm doing this. Well, at that point, I was doing I was doing a whole bunch of different things. I was doing the, the work at the aquarium, mm-hmm. which was... And then I was doing a lot of painting and decorating as well. Okay. Kind of freelance... I'd get calls. I, I was I got quite good at decorating, and so I would do um, some pretty, what I would call high class situation decorating. Okay. In between, in in between some uh, 
paintings in galleries. So obviously there would be a turnover of paintings on the wall in these art galleries. Okay, yeah. And then when a big painting was moved, it would leave a space behind which would need to be made to look like the whole room was was new again. Okay. And that would happen a lot. And because I was trusted with the paints in amongst the old paintings, I used to do a bit of that. Wow. Oh, that's really wild. At what point, I think you've played with some pretty amazing people on stage at this point. When was the first time that you ended up playing with your uncle, with Eric, on stage? Well, really, properly, only, what was it, the year before last. Oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah. At the tribute? Yeah. Wow. Yeah, the Baker tribute. That was the first time. That's amazing. Yeah. Jeez. Yeah. I mean, he'd been to a he'd been to a gig or two, you know, many years before, back in uh, Cloud Nine days. Oh wow! But yeah, that was the first time we ever got to play, or that I got to play with him. That must have been incredible. I can't even imagine what you were going through at that point. No, it seemed like a dream. Yeah. <laughs> kind of super surreal and and all my dreams come true and um and yet at the same time strangely fated as well yeah it's it's it would be incredible for anybody listening here to be able to go on stage with eric clapton but the fact that you know he's your uncle just that has to be so special just you know that's that's my uncle i know he's who he is but it's more that it's family yeah it was um yeah like i say just um unbelievable really i've heard some interesting things and i want to i love hearing weird stories about touring so since that point i know you you've been touring you you've toured a lot i've i've read that there's some interesting things going on like at one point you played a gig with your fly open but you also played a maximum security prison for female offenders and that wasn't the same gig was it no, okay. no, definitely not. Okay, <laughs> definitely not. Because uh, yeah, I'm sure they wouldn't have allowed. They wouldn't have allowed that. No, um, <laughs> it was it was definitely on a on a Music of Cream show that um, that the Fly Open incident happened. Okay, I just noticed these two girls giggling hysterically, you know, in the front row. And I was, you know, what are they laughing at? They're laughing at, and then I was sort of a little peek down, and sure enough, there my fly was open. Man, yeah, that <laughs> that's probably the most unique tour incident that I've heard of. One of the most unique things that I've I've heard on this podcast. It was not by design. I don't normally go out there with my fly open. I mean, maybe well, that's good. You know, maybe some people do, but. Um, <laughs> <laughs> well, I've enjoyed listening to the, the solo albums, the uh, Hooks and Lines. I think I love Angel. 
That track is absolutely beautiful. I love the slide tone, the lyrics, the background vocals. Everything about that song is just beautiful. I absolutely love that. My feet don't touch the ground. Never felt so high. I won't be coming down. In my And I was really intrigued going and listening to it that a lot of guys who play blues will play a lot of covers, a lot of blues classics, but I wasn't expecting a cover of Glenn Fry Smuggler's Blues on that. That's, that was a really cool choice. Oh, cool. I really like that. It's trouble on the streets tonight. I can feel it in my bone. I a premonition. Should not go unknown. loved that show and the lyrics stuck with me i don't know why and of course on my version was is i mean i guess it's kind of inspired by bb king thriller's gone oh, okay now that you mentioned uh, that i can hear that yeah oh yeah, that's really kind cool of, you know yeah that's that's kind of where it came from was that you know i wanted i wanted to emulate the thriller's gone but also give it a kind of um dirty street naughty aspect as, as well. <laughs> a little um, dirtier than the original because the original is a little glenn fry i mean it was a little polished little miami vice you yeah know? so yeah kind of nice yeah exactly <laughs> it was he was a good smuggler nice guy yeah nice smuggler yeah. <laughs> <laughs> my smuggler is a little bit more fucked up you know? exactly <laughs> a little more realistic a little, little rougher yeah <laughs> So you, you put that out. There's, there's something old, something new is great and bluesy. Turn it on. Mouse tails never rains. Those, I mean, those are really some great tracks. Some of it sounds like my, and I, I almost hate to say this because I'm sure you, you get this a lot, but it sounds like the stuff that I really enjoy from Clapton's late eighties, nineties period before, before the unplugged era, the, that, that whole unplugged album, that, August era Clapton. It's got that really cool, I mean, and the really cool Clapton sound. I mean, there's really no other way for me to put it, but.
place in another time. We're in outer space inside our mind. They keep selling me same old also hear you having a lot of fun on it with tracks like Lucy's Kitchen, Blues Police. Those are fun tracks. It just sounds like you're having a lot of a lot of fun really appreciating where you're at at the moment. Nice. I'll take that. Thank you very much. I take that as a compliment. Yeah, that's kind of my deal. I guess um that was the kind of um I guess um if there is a if there's a thing as a that Clapton era that was the the most probably influential point where I was absorbing and making up my mind about what I like in music. Yeah. You know, a lot of it was to do with, I was a huge Phil Collins fan. Oh yeah. And, and Eric was being produced by Phil a lot, you know, the end of, um, or on the behind the sun album. And around that time, and hanging out with Phil as, a, a lot as well. So I got to I got to hang out vicariously a little bit with <laughs> Phil too. Wow! Um, and I thought that he, you know, I thought he was great. In fact, the first single that I ever bought, and I didn't even ever have a record player, so I don't know why I bought <laughs> single. <laughs> I just thought that's because what you do, you're gonna buy a single, right? I, I don't know if I thought I, I don't know if I thought I was single-handedly helping Phil's career. I'm doing my part. Yeah, I'm doing my bit. Here, Phil. But I bought uh, uh, "Take Me Home." You know, Phil Collins, "Take Me Home." Oh yeah, great that song. First, that's the first piece of music that I ever bought. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and, I, and I was a fan I was a huge fan and then when August came out I was hanging out quite a bit with with my auntie Patty and spending a lot of time at Eric's house and stuff and so of course the album was being made and I think that he was really into it and really proud of it as well because it was on a lot and then that you know that's that spilled over into into Journeyman, and and I was there for a lot of the recording sessions with Russ Teitelman. Oh wow! Um, in the Townhouse Studios, which no longer exists, but in London, while they were finalising a lot of the takes and and the mixes for Bad Love, um, oh. and that's another another song apart from crossroads because eric did show me when i was first starting on guitar eric showed me the opening riff of crossroads oh wow set me off on my guitar journey that's amazing and then years later well a couple of years later (laughs) um, he showed me the main riff from bad love oh man Um, just as at the same time as they were finishing it. And at that time as well, the Clapton Strat was being finalized. Oh. So new versions of, of the guitar of the Clapton Strat were being sexed. It wasn't, wasn't quite right. The profile of the neck wasn't quite right. And of course, I had absolutely nothing to do <laughs> with it, but these guitars were there. And I was getting to have a little 
a little play on them. Oh, wow. Before they were getting sent back with, no, I want more, you know, and I'm just pulling shit out of the sky right. here. No, I want more V in the neck or, you know, no, I'm not quite happy with that, with that, with these pickups. And I want more bottom end on the, on the, I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Getting <laughs> to the nitpicky interesting point. Time and I was there for that, you know, and, oh, and got my grubby little mitts <laughs> on those, on those strats, which wow. never probably would have been ever seen again, you yeah. know, that came over and were test models oh. while the final beast was decided upon or, or formulated or formed. Oh, that's a, that's amazing. That was kind of a, my gateway into Eric Clapton too. It was August. My mom was a huge fan. She bought the album. I loved it. And uh, I guess it was that Christmas or so that he came out with the Crossroads box set. And I'm like, I'm going to get that for my mom for Christmas. And so that was my gateway. And then, I gave it to her and I ended up listening to it more than, than and I kind of gave it to her and then took it back. That was my yeah, always, deep dive into it. That. that looked cool. Oh, it was, it's great. I've bought it several times at this point. <laughs> I've always loved it. That's, like I said, that's what really got me into Clapton and going back into his incredible history. So I, I really didn't, and at that point, didn't know how far back his history went. So... And if, right. if I remember right, that's the first box set that ever came out. That was all him. That whole, I don't want to say trend because I still love it when they did that, that whole thing of, of bands putting out retrospective box sets started with his crossroads. So once again, him influencing music. It's incredible. I do want to talk about Blues Daddy because I do like that so much. And you do one of my favorite blues tracks ever. You know, oh, well, I love that. But I think... The music of Cream started before that. Is that right? Yeah. How did that whole process get started? Uh, music of Cream, I guess it was about 2013. And um, back then they had the band, it was called the Sons of Cream. Right, yeah. And I was invited to sit in with those guys. And so I did. And then nothing really happened until a few years later. And um, our current manager, he invited us to go and play out in uh, Australia and New Zealand. And we had Glenn Hughes and Robin Ford come join us. Oh, wow. And, um, And so we did, like, I think it was like five shows or six shows, something like that, around Australia, and then a couple of shows in in New Zealand. And it was all a little bit all over the place and uh, pretty crazy, but some great shows. And that's kind of, that's really in a nutshell how that kind of started. Okay. We had a few sort of lineup changes and stuff. And... um, 
and then uh, you know, and then we started the what was going to be a quite large tour just at the start of uh, the before the dark time. Right. Yeah, BP before yeah. pandemic, and um, that's uh, that kind of halted everything just as mm. it was really starting to starting to kick off. So it started off with you uh, with uh, Kofi Baker and uh, Malcolm Bruce, right? Yeah. So it's changing. Malcolm's not in the current touring iteration. Is that right? That's right. The set list. How do you guys come up with a set list? I mean, it, there's just so much. Everybody's got different things that they love about Cream and, and different. There's so many different sounds. How do you guys come up with a, a, a set list? And I think the current, the tour that's coming up is going to be mostly Disraeli Gears. Or is it all Disraeli Gears and then stuff afterwards as an encore? Well, it's actually the fits quite nicely. So the first set is the Disraeli Gears album, and then um, a couple of tunes, um, Press Rat and Warthog, which Kofi sings oh, cool. and, and plays, obviously, and uh, and then a White Room, because White Room's not on Disraeli Gears, right. but that that makes up the first set. Okay, and then the second set is Clapton Classics with. Um, you know, songs like I Shot the Sheriff. Oh, nice. Um, Layla, obviously, and Wonderful Tonight, Cocaine. And uh, so it's so it's kind of like that. So it's kind of a, a double-edged sword, if you like. Is there any ever any apprehension in doing some of these songs? Um, is Do you kind of do it to the letter, or do you do some improvisation with the show? We, yeah. We do do a lot of improvisation, and um, Kofi and I. There's a there's a certain. Uh, it's a very particular balance between honouring the songs, and reproducing them, and yeah. at the same time putting our own little flavour on it. Which I guess you know, without wanting to blow my own trumpet or blow our trumpet or butter our crumpet. <laughs> <laughs> I guess only we can do that, you know, in a way. Well, you guys um, are so intimate with, with the songs. A style. Yeah, because, yeah, exactly. No matter how I try or whatever, you know, I can't, I, I'm, I make music the way I make music and I'm yeah. heavily influenced by Eric and that sound, both cream-wise and the latest stuff as well, no matter, no matter how I do it. Yeah. It's just how how I do it. It's how it comes out. And the same for Kofi. You know, he's yeah. his father's son. But is it a carbon copy? No, it's not. <laughs> you know, he's got his own flavor and his own thing going on. And I'd like to think that, you know, that I do too. Yeah. Um, and um, without putting too fine a point on it, we're kind of carrying the torch flying the flag you know mm. if we were um i like to use this analogy it's pretty crazy but you know maybe you can follow me on this one all right if back in the olden days of the knights of yore you know mm -hmm. you would fly the flag or have the crest of your of your family if you you know yep. um if you were gonna go into battle or you'd wear the same tartan you know, if you were Scottish, right, or whatever, yeah, you'd fly the flag of your of your family, of your family. or of your, of your elders, you yeah. know, or your clan, 
if you like, you know. And um, so it's a little bit like that. That makes sense. That makes sense to me. It, it makes it different than a tribute band because you actually yeah. related to everybody that was in that's in the band. So it is more of of carrying on the family tradition. Exactly, exactly. So you know, there, it's a it's a it's a subtle blend of performing the songs in you know in the way that they were intended, and yet at the same time putting our um, what knowledge and what what experiences that we've gained and also the the experiences of of music that we've listened to outside of cream mm-hmm. and, and Eric stuff and and bringing those influences in as well well i think you guys are in a probably the most unique position with the music of cream because of your actual familial connection to it if you go and see a tribute band I don't know. The first thing I'm thinking of, there's there's a Rush tribute band that plays close by my house a lot. If you go to see that Rush tribute band, you want to hear them play note for note Rush. But if I go and see the music of Cream, knowing that everybody in the band's relationship to the actual members of Cream, I actually don't necessarily want to hear it note for note. I want to hear you guys expand it and make it your own. Yeah. That's, and, and with that music, there's the whole license to do that because so much of it is improvisation. Yeah. That was the whole point. You know, K- Kofi often says, you know, the whole point of, um, you know, he would get he would get cross if uh, he played the song the same way two nights in a row. <laughs> you know, that's, it is open, you know, it is open to interpretation or whether where you want to take it and how you feel that particular night. That's oh. what it's that's what it's for. That's what it was about. Oh, that's awesome. Um, you know, what do they say in the uh, in one of our opening dialogues is um, forget the music, forget the lyrics and just play. That is awesome. And the, the show isn't just music. I mean, you guys tell stories and there's some multimedia stuff involved, right? That's right. Yeah, it's a totally multimedia experience. We have a big screen behind us with, um, you know, with projections and video clips and um, photographs from, from our family vaults. Wow. And, um, yeah, and we tell stories, you know, um, relating to the different songs and to some of our experiences um, from our childhoods. Oh, that is wonderful. And then, of course, we've got an amazing light show as well. You know, our, our lighting director comes up with just some really, really cool stuff. It's not just a bunch of uh, old psychedelic oil tricks. <laughs> oh, not like the lava lamp like behind that. you. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's, uh, it's really some next level shit. That is awesome. Was it hard to learn all the, the music of Cream? Was it, or, or did it? Come naturally. I mean, you had an inside track. You know, if you have questions, you, I'm sure you could reach out to your uncle. Yeah, that's a good question. I myself, I spent hours and hours and hours <laughs> working on not only my guitar playing but my vocals as well. To know those songs inside out and back to front, so that not only was I just playing them, but I had enough confidence with them that i could go in any direction okay 
and um, you know, and, and bring a whole bunch to the table. I was really impressed with how not only how well the music sounds like Cream, but how well the vocals matched as well. You and Eric and Malcolm actually sounded exactly like Jack. So that was that was crazy to me when I started going back and listening to the old to the clips of of the shows that he was in. It was just it kind of blew me away how close you guys came to actually sounding like Eric and Jack. It was amazing. Oh, cool. So you came out with Blues Daddy. I want to go back to that real quick because, like I said, you do one of my favorite blues songs ever. Oh well. You've also got some other really great stuff in there. I really enjoyed, like, Don't You Want a Man Like Me? I love the guitar solos in that, especially the first one because I'm a huge fan of pinch harmonics. love that and i think i just want to make love to you is my favorite track on that album it which it beats oh well which is tough to do because that's one of my favorite (laughs) blues songs of all time yeah i was that was really fun to do that one i we i call them squealies yeah (laughs) (laughs) and um and this there's something about doing that it's not just a a uh, well, I guess a, you know, a heavy metal thing, or a, or a, I guess it's Eddie inspired a little bit. Yeah, it um, it just gets across that. Oh my goodness me, you know, it does. Oh, you know, I've it, got to, I've got to really you. squeeze that little thing out of there, and it just go, it just sings. And I tell you where it comes from as well is Eric played for me back in that time that I was talking about when uh, we when he was finalizing Bad Love, which I guess was on Journeyman. Yeah. One day he, he picked up this record and said, well, let's, let's listen to this. And it was Rai Kuda's Get Rhythm. Ah. That album. And there's two tracks on that. I think one of them is I Can Tell By The Way You Smell. And another one is All Shook Up. Okay. And both of those start with some just, I guess, solo guitar played riff. And there's in in the intro, which are some guitar bits, whether it was intentional or serendipitously played, boom, there's these where it just, just it's got to catch the edge of his thumb or whatever yeah. when he's doing it. And it sings with these false harmonics. And so I've always, and that just electrified me when I first heard that, you know. Yeah. 
made the hair stand up on my arm and I was like, whoa, whoa, you know, yep. almost like, don't tell Eric. But it was a little bit like, oh my goodness me, who's this guy? What the <laughs> hell are you doing with that guitar? <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> it, it, is the band set to tour? The, the music of Cream, is that set to start playing again pretty soon? I know you hope your finger injury isn't going to mess around, mess with that too much. Yeah, no, this finger hopefully should be better in um, five or six days, they said at the hospital Good. today. So as, as long as I don't go trying to do anything. No pinch harmonics. Yeah, sit, sit, no pinch harmonics. <laughs> just sit still, watch some more Star Wars. Do some podcasts. Um, Mandalorian. Yeah, yeah podcast, <laughs> that kind of thing. I'm just catching um, up on Mandalorian too. I just just started it. <laughs> I just had, I'm trying to resist the urge to buy one of those Mandalorian helmets <laughs> that they have in the, they've, they've, they've got this cool store in, in, in Brighton. And, um, cause I just, you know, you've got to wear a mask on the plane and yeah. here and there. And I thought, well, I might as well make it a really fucking good one. Yeah. Right. <laughs> you know, I've actually brought my, uh, my son has a stormtrooper helmet. And uh, at the beginning of the pandemic, I brought that into work. They didn't, they didn't really care for that. They told me I, I had to wear an actual mask. <laughs> so I got yelled at, and then I had to take that off and put a real mask yeah. on. <laughs> That's probably why I haven't splashed out with yeah. a Mandalorian helmet. You know, <laughs> you know someone's going to come and say, no, sir, that's not acceptable. Yeah, nobody's got a sense of humor anymore. No, exactly. Man. <laughs> you do. I try. <laughs> so the, the tour, you're doing the European tour, and then you're coming over to the States in, uh, was it May or June? Uh, April. April. April, starting off. Hopefully, okay. touch wood with the Flower Power Cruise. I think that um, starts in Costa Rica and goes around um, some of the islands. Okay. Um, uh, do you know that? You know, a slice of apple pie in Costa Rica is like $2. Um, whereas in Barbados, it's like $2.50. <laughs> and, then, and then in Jamaica, a slice of apple pie is $3. Did you know about that? <laughs> no, I didn't know. No, those, no, those are actually the pirates of the Caribbean. <laughs> I walked right into that one. Damn it. <laughs> and then we're going to be, we're going to be in Florida in the first part of April. Okay. Of course, all the dates are at musicofcream.com. Um, we've got a cool Facebook page as well, yeah. which, um, you know, don't be shy. Come and check us out on there as well. And then there are literally shows right across the States. I think there's not very many States where, we're not appearing. And if we're not in that state, we're in one next door. Exactly. Yeah. Well, my website's just my name, willjohns.com, of course. And you can, you know, I've got all the merchandise and you can get your copy of Blues Daddy direct from my site. Excellent. Also, I make some interesting PowerShell shark's teeth, which are eco friendly. No sharks are harmed in the, <laughs> in the making of these. <laughs> I saw those. Those are really cool. You got some organite energy devices as well to protect you against uh, electromagnetic frequencies. Oh, excellent! I saw those as um, well. 
Yeah. Oh, you did? Yeah, I've, I looked at it, and you've got all of your albums up there. Yeah. You got, was it four of them, right? That's right. Let's see. I'm pulling it up right now. Let's, let's see here. You've got Count on Me, Hooks and Lines, Something Old, Something New, and then the most recent one, which is Blues Daddy. And yeah. uh, if I pull my finger out, I'm going to get the next one done <laughs> as well in the next couple of months. Oh, wonderful. Yeah, I'm just working on that right now. Oh, beautiful, beautiful. Is there... going to be all original. Are you on uh, social media, Facebook? Well, I know Facebook, but Instagram, Twitter, anything like that? Yeah. Instagram and Twitter is all just Will John's music. Thank you so much for joining me. I've, these stories were just amazing. I'm so thrilled to gotten to, to meet you. Well, you know what? You said that you were going to ask a bunch of uh, you know, questions that were probably asked before, and, and not all of them were. So you know, <laughs> thank you. It's been my pleasure to be here, too. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points.